Whether or not you have a pressing need for an accessible home right now, due to your own situation or wanting to make your house visitable for close friends and family, it's never a bad idea to plan an accessible update. Let's talk about why. Hey there, welcome back to Midmod Remodel. This is a show about updating MCM homes, helping you match a mid-century home to your modern life. I'm your host, Della Hansman, architect and mid-century ranch enthusiast. You're listening to Season 4, Episode 5. Last week, we talked about embedding sustainability into your remodel process. This week, I'm going to dig into how you can fairly effortlessly incorporate more accessibility into any remodel. Many of my home update clients are first-time homebuyers, taking on a mid-century ranch and updating their vintage house to match their young family's lifestyle. But I also work with a lot of people who have lived in a ranch for several decades and are reevaluating the way their home works for them, or empty nesters and retirees who are searching for a new mid-century ranch, hoping to make it a home they can stay in for many years to come. The fact is that a mid-century ranch could be an ideal home for people in many life stages. That's one of the reasons that so many are on the market right now and haven't been in the past. They've simply been unavailable because they've been continuously occupied since the time they were built by the people who bought them. My next door neighbors have lived on my street since the homes were built in 1952. For them, a house that was the perfect place to raise a young family turned into a haven for growing teenagers and then a successful home for empty nesters and finally a place for senior citizens to stay independently for many decades. These houses are coming on the market right now only as their original owners decide to finally make the jump to assisted living facilities or pass on. Some of the features that make a ranch house such a handy and comfortable place to raise a young family are the same qualities that make them easy to live in through the decades for people who have mobility issues either due to age or other factors. So today I'm going to talk about how mid-century single-level ranch houses can be almost uniquely accessible homes, and how a remodel can make sure you keep the good accessible features your home already has and add to them to make your house more flexible and livable for years to come. If you want to follow up on this topic, check out the show notes at midmod-midwest.com slash 405. Now let's get right into it. Many ranch houses have inherently accessible qualities, but if you're looking to make changes to your ranch that are specifically designed to make it more accessible to people, either residents or visitors, with limited mobility, a good place to start is the design guidelines set forth in the ADA, the Americans with Disabilities Act. I'll be mentioning this again for the rest of the episode as the ADA. In general, the ADA doesn't regulate single-family residential spaces. People are free to do what they want with their own homes. But for you as a homeowner planning updates, you can use the guidelines that are set forth for hospitals, hotels, multifamily living spaces, and government residential facilities as useful guidelines for your house, too. In my experience as an architect, I have worked with the ADA mainly in public spaces. When I worked for a firm in Chicago, we did restaurants as well as many residential overhauls, and I spent a lot of time checking that I had made particularly the bathrooms and the entry access points accessible for people in wheelchairs. I'm going to describe a few simple rules of thumb later in the episode, but it'll be easier to show graphically, so pop over to the show notes for a few handy diagrams to bear in mind. First, though, a little history of the ADA. It recently passed its 30-year birthday as a landmark legislation to protect the rights of Americans with disabilities, and it has a number of provisions that include employment as well as access to schools, education, and public spaces. 
The way I interface with it as an architect has to do with regulations for the accessibility of public spaces. That means, how easy is it for a person with a disability or limited mobility to get into and around buildings that are governed by the ADA, which today includes not just federally funded buildings, but businesses, restaurants, movie theaters, and other public spaces. If you're interested in the history of the accessibility rights movement in America, there is a really amazing episode of the Throughline podcast by NPR, which I'll link to in the show notes, that reflects on the history of the movement. I highly recommend you just go check it out yourself, but if you don't have time, I'll outline a few of the more interesting and appalling facts from that episode. Up until a shockingly recent time in American history, people with any visible otherness were regarded as unacceptable as members of general society. It was common practice to institutionalize people, not only for what we currently understand as mental disabilities, but also people with limited physical mobility, broken or missing limbs, or spinal cord injuries. American attitudes against people with disabilities were reflected, not magnified, by the Nazi doctrine of eugenics. It was only with the conclusion of World War II that a combination of public horror at the revealed cruelties of the Nazis— and an influx of returning veterans who suffered from amputated limbs and spinal injuries started to change American attitudes towards disabilities. But not by much. The NPR Throughline podcast episode highlights an early program at the University of Illinois which supported educational access for veterans with mobility issues. It allowed them to enroll at the university and created a system of courses and support for them to be able to experience student life somewhat. But the focus of the program was on training these students to face the challenges they would meet in the world entirely on their own. For example, if they attended a class in a building where they had to go upstairs, they were encouraged to sit down on the stairs and haul themselves up one at a time. It doesn't appear to have occurred to them to make the building itself more accessible for their veteran students. Eventually, programs like the one at U of I were open to not veterans with disabilities, many of whom had been affected by the polio epidemic in the 1950s. Later, the civil rights movement gave people a way to look at their situation, which put the burden not on individual persons with disabilities, but on society to create ways for everyone to participate equally. Unceasing activism by persons with disabilities eventually led to the passage of the ADA in 1990. But even so, it is a mandate without funding or enforcement. So basically, it's on people with disabilities to look around at the world and find places that aren't accessible to them, and then get them changed by either public pressure or lawsuits. There isn't an accessibility police that goes around checking public buildings or businesses for their accessibility to the general public. Going back to that post-war transition in American sentiment towards people with disabilities, I'm prompted to wonder if there's any relationship to the sudden prevalence of single-level living in ranch-style houses. After all, the building boom is so commonly associated with young veterans' quests for home ownership. So are ranches accessible because the people who first lived in them needed more accessibility? Could be. But let's step away from history and the hypothetical to get into more practical matters. Regardless of why, mid-century homes are often inherently easier to get around in than older home styles. They're more likely to be built at or near grade, have more open floor plans to maneuver through, and easier to handle hardware on doors and cabinets, and more. Last year when I was doing research on mid-century homes in Madison, I reached out to the owners of a handful of my favorite mid-century style homes around town. I just wrote letters to their mailing addresses, inviting them to reach back to me if they were interested in a chat. By coincidence, two of the people who did get back to me were happy homeowners of super cool mid-century homes and also happened to be parents of children with disabilities. 
In both of those cases, we end up having a long chat about why a mid-century house or ranch is something they sought out for accessibility reasons and some of the changes that they needed to make to their homes to bring them even further into alignment with their own family's particular needs. The long and the short of it is that a ranch, even with a Midwestern basement, groups most of its necessary spaces on the main floor, bedrooms right down the hall from the kitchen and other social spaces. It's relatively easy to add a small ramp to negotiate entering and leaving the home, And with basic modification to the bathrooms and floor surfaces, they can be brought up to ADA spec, making a handy and comfortable home for a family with or without disabilities. One mother told me that when her family has moved, roughly every five years in the recent past, they always seek out a mid-century home, both because they do enjoy the style and because it's a real estate shortcut to finding a home that will suit their son's needs. Since this podcast is all about remodeling, How can you bring or keep elements of accessible design in your home when you update it? The possibilities are many, and they do range from large to small. Some of this is full-scale remodel edition stuff, but much of it is small and subtle, like we discussed last week with sneaking sustainability into remodel. With those green remodeling choices, sometimes that means making a major layout adjustment to create opportunities for passive solar heating and cooling. Or sometimes it just means choosing a faucet or toilet that's been marked with the WaterSense sticker to show the EPA approves it, or buying the same type of product from a local company instead of a distant one. Accessibility updates can work the same way. On the large scale, or at least the hire a contactor scale, there are a few considerations. The first thing a house needs to be accessible is a way to get inside it. Most Midwestern houses are built with the main level a few inches to a few feet above grade, so we have to go up one to three steps to get inside them. For someone on crutches or in a wheelchair, that can be a deal breaker, so you need to create a ramp or lift access to span between the ground level and house. This could be the work of a competent DIYer, but also might need a professional's assistance. You also need to be able to get from place to place inside the house. Homes planned from the jump for accessibility have wider-than-average halls and doorways, with turning radii for wheelchairs subtly blocked into the floor plan. Many builder-grade ranches might be too narrow in the hall, or particularly the bathroom doorway. Mine is a closet door width, just two feet across, and may need to be widened. That sounds simple, but moving a wall six inches can be an expensive and troubling proposition, so look for opportunities to work within your floor plan where possible, and widen doorways where you must. Within the house, the two key areas that need more extensive and expensive overhauls are the bath and kitchen. If you're planning a remodel for any reason, the odds are that you're touching those two rooms, so you may as well put a little thought into making them accessibility ready. Again, this means plenty of clear floor space for maneuvering a wheelchair. The ideal is a five-foot diameter circle of clear floor area that gives access to sinks, showers, and toilets in a bathroom and to the necessary kitchen work triangle aspects of a kitchen. Other issues in both the kitchen and bathroom are grab bars for maneuvering in certain areas, a seating height access to the sink, and walk-in or roll-in access shower and pantry access. On the small scale for remodeling for accessibility, there are everyday considerations that make a place easy or less easy to get around. Door handles for one. Almost all older homes, even mid-century era older homes, use a round, knob-style door handle. That's what I have in my home. To turn it, you are required to grip the handle firmly and twist while pushing or pulling to disengage the latch. Most contemporary handles use a lever style, which is easier for someone with reduced grip strength, but also for anyone who has their hands full. Choosing a lever-style handle over a knob costs not a single extra cent, but makes your house more effortly accessible. If you're replacing or adding knobs, I recommend a lever. 
Likewise, choosing flooring materials that are trip-friendly, hard surfaces over carpets mostly, makes a house easy to get around. And putting in the effort to smooth transitions between one material and another, for example, from tile to wood or to cork, will make it easy to roll from one room to another. It'll also prevent tripping hazards for you late at night or whenever you're feeling distracted. Installing grab bars and handles next to tricky doors, at key corners, along stairways, and especially in bathrooms can make the difference between independence and inaccessibility for some people. Now, grab bars are often a feature that aren't added until someone actively needs them. But if you're planning a bathroom model today and you're worried that you might want to age in place in your house and need a handle later, plan for the future by installing the right blocking, the 2x4s needed, behind your wall surfaces now. That way, if anyone in your family ever needs them, you can pop in added hardware with little extra work and no demolition required. Make sure you document that you did that and where you did it to make life easier for yourself in the future. In the end, well-planned and well-designed, none of this needs to look out of place or even add a whole lot of expense to an overall project. As the mother of the family I mentioned earlier put it, we do our remodels so they can be accessible for a wheelchair, but when you walk in, you'd never know. For example, she put in two shower heads in one one bath because her daughter is six feet tall and her son a wheelchair user. As she summarized it, it's practical and it looks great too. To recap, Whether you have a pressing need for an accessible home right now, due to your own situation or wanting to make it visible for close friends or family, or not, it's never a bad idea to plan an accessible update. Anyone can slip in the ice in their driveway and find themselves laid up unexpectedly, and if you do, you'll thank yourself for choosing a walk-in shower with a bench. When you plan it well, it doesn't need to cost you more or stand out style-wise. Again, this is where the clean, practical aesthetic of mid-century design goes hand-in-hand with livable house for all ages. Go figure. Pop over to my show notes page to see a few simple diagrams of accessible layouts. I'll also link to handy resources to follow up for more detail if this is an issue that matters to you particularly and right now. You'll find those notes at midmod-midwest.com slash 405. That's all for today. As always, you can help new listeners find the show by adding a rating and review. Subscribe to the podcast to make sure you never miss an episode. I'll catch you next week for more mid-bod remodeling advice.